the book of Judges, chapter 7. This is one of the familiar and more favorite stories in the Bible. It's the story of Gideon and his victory over the Midianites. But there are some things in here that I believe will be of help to us as we look into the Word of God. Judges chapter 7, and we'll read beginning at verse number 1. Judges chapter 7. If you have a Scofield Bible, it's on page 945, or, nine, or 295, pardon me, 295. I hope you have a good old Scofield Bible. All right. Judges chapter 7, and I read beginning at verse 1, and it reads like this. Then Jerubbabel, who is Gideon, and all the people that were with him rose up early and pitched beside the well of Herod, so that the host of the Midianites were on the north side of them by the hill of Moray in the valley. And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people that are with thee are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, Mine own hand has saved me. God detests nothing more than he does pride. And pride is, is the fact of setting oneself above God. That's what pride is. We set ourselves above the person of God. We set a, ourselves above the precepts of God. And that is pride. Pride in the heart is saying to the Lord, not your will, but my will be done. And so the Lord forbade that Israel should be blown up in pride. And as a result, he said, uh, the people that you have with you are too many. We live in a day that's very strange and opposite to the very plan of God. We have the idea that God works through the great majority. But I'm here to tell you he doesn't do that. God works through uh, those who are yielded and surrendered to him. It's not the great numbers, uh, but it's the matter of man being surrendered to the will of God. Continue on in verse 3. Now, now therefore, go to proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whosoever is fearful and afraid, let him return and depart early from Mount Gilead. And there returned of the people 20 and 2,000, and there remained 10,000. Now, I don't know, I know most of you have never been a pastor but what if you pastored a church of 32,000 people and all of a sudden 22,000 left? What would you do? I guarantee you I'd go soak my head in the sand and I would resign. But here the Lord says that 22,000 of these people departed that left 
only 10,000. Now God's teaching Gideon a lesson. And the lesson is this, that God's victories are not won by numbers, but God's victories are won by the few who may be yielded and surrendered to him. In the day of, on the day of Pentecost, only 120 of those followers of the Lord, filled with the Spirit of God, used of God, moved, and 3,000 people were saved as a result. Hey, it doesn't take many for God to do His work in, but it does take those who are yielded and surrendered. Verse 3 says, again, the fearful and the afraid, he said to Gideon, let them return and depart early from Mount Gilead, and there returned to the people 22,000, and there remained only 10,000. Gilead or, or Gideon must have felt pretty comfortable with the fact of just 10,000. But the Lord said, that's too many yet. And he said down in verse number four, Gideon, the people are yet too many. Bring them down under the water. I'll test them. I'll try them there. That of whom I say unto thee, this shall, shall go with thee. The same shall go with thee. And whomsoever I shall say unto thee, this shall not go with thee. The same shall not go. Isn't it amazing that God can take but the few and bring glory and honor and give victory to the cause of Jesus Christ? Well, after the test was, uh, was given, uh, there were only 300 who remained. 300, can you imagine? 300 out of 32,000. God said, I will, I will gain the victory. I'll give the victory through the 300 of these. Notice that the Lord gave them a test. Those who lapped uh, the water uh, just like uh, animals as they bowed down on their bellies and began to lap the water up, the Lord said, set them aside. Those who dipped water with their hands and lapped the water, he said, you set them aside. Those were the 300. They were cautious men. They were men who were alert. There were folks who were looking around. They were not just concerned with the consuming of the water for their own benefit. The Bible says at verse 16 that he divided the three companies into, uh, divided the 300 rather into three companies. You know what he gave them? He gave them a trumpet and, an, and a pitcher that had a candle in it. And he said, this is your weapon of warfare. Odd oh, that warfare could be won by such a thing, trumpets and pitchers. And yet God chose the very simple things, the very insignificant things to win the victory over the enemy. Now, I want you to watch something else down in verse number 17. He said, look on me and do likewise. 
And behold, when I come to the out, uh, when I come to the outside of the camp, it shall be that as I do, so shall you do. When I blow with a trumpet, I and all that are with me, then blow ye the trumpets also on every side of all the camp and say, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. Leadership is a very important element in any, in any work of God. And Joshua was saying, as I do, so you should do. Hey, listen, that applies to the family as well. Husband, as you do, you can expect your family to do. For God has made you the head of the family. If you love God, you can expect your family to love God. Watch this. If you come to the house of God, you can set a precedent, a leadership to the family. If you come to Sunday school, you can expect your children to come. But don't expect them in later life, if you have no regard for the teaching of the Word of God, that they too will follow in that same example. You can forget it. I realize there are obstacles that prevent some from being in the house of God when, they, when the Word of God is taught by the teacher of the Word of God in the Sunday school class. I realize that. But yet again, if you would have your sons and your daughters to follow in the footprints of learning the Word of God, you're going to have to set that yourself. Nobody else can do it for you. Joshua said, when I blow with the trumpet, I and all that are with me, then blow ye the trumpets also on every side of the camp and say the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. Now, why don't you look at verse 21, and this is our text. Follow it carefully. Verse 21, And they stood, every man in his place, round about the camp, and all the host ran and cried and fled. That's our text. And so what I want to talk to you about this morning is the secret of a successful church. Or, could I apply it as well, the secret of a successful family. Here it is, laid out in verse number 21. And they stood, every man in his place, round about the camp. There are four things that I want to deal with this morning, and I hope you'll follow them very carefully. Jot them down. First of all, they were resolved. Secondly, they were responsible. Thirdly, they were regimented. And in the fourth place, they were rewarded. All of this comes out of verse number 21. Now look up here carefully and listen to what I want to tell you. First of all, they were resolved. The Bible said in verse 21, they stood every man in his place. They stood, that is, uh, 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 they were committed. They were committed. They stood in their place. They stood. Paul tells us in Galatians 5 and verse 1, 
that we are to stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. Take a stand. You are a free person if you're a child of God. Again, in Galatians chapter 6 and verse number 13, Paul says this, remember? And having done all to stand, stand, stand. After you've done everything you know to do, take a stand upon the Word of God. We have so many wishy-washy Christians in this day. We have people who have no regard for what God says. And yet God is saying, uh, if you would be, see, be a successful family, if you would be a successful church, you're going to have to take a stand. Somebody said it like this. If you do not stand for something, you'll fall for everything. Take a stand. Take a stand on this old book. The old King James Version of the Bible. Take a stand on that. Take a stand on the truth of God and where the society and the culture of our day goes in the opposite direction, God help us that we'll take a stand on the word of God. So he said that every man stood. And I like this. They were responsible. Every man stood in his place. He stood in his place. He is responsible. He was a man or a person of ability. Now, not every person has the same ability. But let me tell you something. Look up here. You have an ability that God has given you. And you're to use that ability for the glory of God. Old Dr. Bob Jones Sr. used to say, the greatest ability is, the, is dependability. God give us the strength to be dependable. That grace of dependability, reliability. Can God rely on you? Can God depend on you? Ah, oh, reliability. Not only that, but God has given us the grace and the gift of usability. Usability. Are you usable in the hands of God? Are you unusable because of something that is not right in your life? God could use so many in this church if we would just have our hearts right with him. I like something else of an ability, and that is stick ability. You like that? I like somebody that sticks with it, don't you? I mean through thick and thin, where things are up or down. Where crowds are greater, crowds are thin. We are, listen, we have a stickability. And we're saying, hey, I'm going to stick with the task and do what God has still has commanded me to do. I think not only of that, but I think of sociability. Would you, blame, would you think just a minute? Solomon said, a man that hath friends must show himself friendly. We got a lot of folks who say, hey, I don't have any friends at that church. Well, how friendly are you? Do you bother to speak to people? Do you bother to encourage them? Or you just kind of flip in and flip out? Sociability. God's given you that ability. Be a friend to someone. 
Speak to someone. Encourage someone. And not only that, there's another ability we'll have, and that's believe ability. Can people really believe you? When you tell them something, can they count on it? Is your bond your word? What about your commitment to the Lord's house? Can people really believe you? Do you have believe ability? And then let me mention another, another ability, availability. Are you really available if God should call you? Old Isaiah said, you're my Lord, send me. He didn't say send them, he said send me. And often we're saying, Lord, you send somebody down to witness to my friend, to my acquaintance, to my loved one. But God's wanting you. Availability. Are you available? And then I like the matter of a possibility. Oftentimes I hear Christian people saying, well, I can't do anything for God. I don't have any talent. And yet God sees in you a possibility. Ability, a possibility. He looked at Simon Peter, that old cussing, ornery fisherman on the shores and the Sea of Galilee, and God saw in him something. When Michelangelo looked at that stone, others could not see a portrait and a sculpture of David, but Michelangelo saw it. He saw it in a stone. And God sees something in you, ladies and gentlemen, that can be used for his glory and for his honor and for the benefit and the blessing of others. There is possibility in every one of us right here today. There's the possibility of soul winners. Do you realize that every person in this house could be a soul winner? Listen, you don't have to be a D.L. Moody or a Billy Sunday. You can just be who you are. God sees in you a possibility. And I'm glad that he does. He sees far more in us than we see in ourselves. You know, often we look at other people and we say, man, alive, if I could just be like that person, if I could be like that woman, all her talent, all her ability. If I could be like that man, I could just do great things for God. God wants to use what you are. You remember the story I've told you before of the little black boy who went into the blacksmith's shop. And he went in and saw that old blacksmith and every time he'd raise his arm, boy's big old muscles would bulge and he'd come down and hit that anvil. And the little boy sat there looking at that fellow, just envious. And after a while, he said, say, mister, he said, "Uh, if I had your muscle and your strength, you know what I'd do? He said, I'd go out in the woods and I'd find the meanest, biggest old bear I could ever find. And I'd just tear him to pieces with my head. And the old blacksmith hit another hit on that old anvil and he said as he looked at the little boy son he said there's some little bears out there in the woods too you know what we do we look at others and think what they do and yet we do not realize that God has a purpose and a plan and a ministry for us 
So then here, they were resolved. They were responsible. They had an ability of responsibility. Now, you don't have to have to have a PhD to be responsible. You can be responsible as a member of this church. Right here in the pew, right here in the place of God on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. But I think the very secret of success is found in this statement. Watch it. And he said, and they stood every man in his place. God has a place for you. You know God has a place for the father in the family. And many a family has gone awry and broken to pieces because father has not taken his place as the head of the family. And I don't mean you're a tyrant. I don't mean that you're some kind of ruthless dictator, but a loving leader in that family. And God has given you that place. If you would have a successful family, then you must take that place that God has given to you. And every man stood in his place. If a church is to be successful, every man, every member must stand in his place. The Sunday school teacher, the deacon, the pastor, whoever. If there is to be success, there must be a standing in the place. If you're to have a God's blessing in your family, sir, you're going to have to stand in your place. The place of leadership, loving leadership. You must stand in that place to lead them in the spiritual realm. And yet again, so many of us want to get all of the other things straightened out in the family and we fail to remember that none of these things can be added unto us until we seek first the kingdom of God. Are you all with me? The whole story then is seek first again. Listen, the job that you're on, you ought to fill your place of responsibility on the, uh, the job that you have, whether it's at the plant, down at the mill, the office. God help us to take position and fill our place. The community itself, the world, our, our nation itself, if we would stand in our place, many of us who are right here, we never go to the polls on voting day. And then we'll sit around the rest of the year and cuss everything that's happened in, in the world of politics and we've never taken our place. God help us to take our place on the, in the home, in the church. Listen, if the pastor doesn't take his place, the teacher doesn't take her place, the deacon doesn't take his place, I guarantee you we're not going to have success. So God's given us a place of service. Many of you who are here today have offices in this church. Do you feel a sense of responsibility in filling that office, in doing all that God has given you to? You may consider it a low or a high office. Yet every office is vital in the movement of the church of our God. 
So then he said, every man, and, and they stood every man in his place round about, and all the host ran and cried and fled. These people of God faced perhaps two, three hundred men. They faced 150,000 Midianites. Now, often we look at the enemy outside the world around us, no friend of God, the secular world, the entertainment world, the educational world, you, call, you name it. I mean, we're faced with innumerable enemies. But God has promised us victory and the reward of victory if we'll stand in the place that God has given us. I want to tell you, you who are fundamental, Bible-believing children of God. Folks, I want you you listen to this, old preacher. We're facing critical days. We're facing days that are ahead of us that's going to demand some people with some backbone. In California, for example, right now, there is on the floor of the legislature a bill that would incarcerate those who would stand against such things as homosexualism, perversion. And there are those, for example, up in Chicago, Mayor Daly gave the same right to perverted people as he would married couples, husband and wife, men and women, gave the same right. I want to tell you, we're, we're on a toboggan slide in this country. And if you don't have backbone, and let me say it plainly, guts, I guarantee you, you're going to fall out. Do you believe this whole book or not? If you don't believe it, get out. As far as I am here, we're going to stand on the word of God if it means your preacher winding up in jail. I want to stand on the word of God. I just hope some of you will bring me some potted meat and soda crackers when I'm up there. But I want to stand for God. We are living in an age when people are departing from that. My medical doctor said the other day, and I'll close with this. He said, Pastor, I'm worried. I said, what about, Doc? He said, my rector in the Episcopal Church and the Episcopal Church itself has condoned even homosexuals being in the position of leadership in our church. And he said, I've got three boys. Now he said, I don't want those three boys sitting under some pervert, some queer. I'm glad he said that. And he said, well, what should I do? And I said, you ought to get out of the Episcopal church and join an independent fundamental Bible-believing Baptist church. Well, he hasn't done that yet, but I'm really working on him, I will tell you that. Popo's working on him too. But the whole story is this. We're coming to a day, ladies and gentlemen, if you don't have any spiritual and Bible backbone, you're going to flunk out. You're going to fail. But we can have success if we'll stand upon the Word of God and stand in our place. We need teachers in this church who'll stand in their place. We need officers in this church who'll stand in their place. 
We need choir members who'll stand in their place. We need members who'll stand in their place. And if we'll do that, God will give us victory by the grace of God. Let's pray together. Father, I've delivered thy message today that you've laid on my heart. I love our people. You know I do and they know I do. Because I love them, Lord, I want to give them the truth. I pray that you'll help us to stand in our place. We've got a lot of folks who haven't. We've got a lot of folks who have vacated and have, Lord, just run away from the place of responsibility. If we're ever going to win this community to Jesus Christ, it'll be through faithful people. Oh, God, we pray for folks who have troubles. There are some right here who have troubles in their lives personally. There are folks who have troubles in their home. There are folks who have troubles on their job. Lord, I haven't come to condemn them today. I've just come to tell them that there's hope and there's help in Jesus Christ. We will not, may we not run away from him. May we not, Lord, in all of our disobedience forsake you, but may we remember you. Now, Lord, there may be somebody here today who hasn't realized that Jesus stood in his place. He took his place on the cross, died in our place, suffered our very agony by reason of that death on the cross. He loved us. And I pray for folks who are here that are unsaved, may they come to Christ. There are folks who need to be in a Bible-believing, Christ-exalting church. I pray that you'll bless, deal with our hearts. Grant that those of us who are thy people who have really failed to stand in our place, may we take that stand today and we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.